0: So there's a lot of advantages associated with agreeableness. The main disadvantage, though, is it tends to be have weaker relationships or negative relationships with career success variables, promotions and salary.
1: Excellence, professionalism, innovation and collegiality. These are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education, business and the lives of people we meet every day. I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Walton College, and welcome to the Be Epic podcast. I have with me today, Michael Wilmot, Assistant Professor of Management in the Sam M. Walton College of Business here at the University of Arkansas. He joined the Walton College in the summer of 2020, so he's been here about a year and a half. Um, He's been a very um, productive researcher already. He got his uh, PhD from the University of Minnesota uh, Michael, thank you so much for taking time uh, to visit with me this morning.
0: Well, Matt, very happy to be here. Thank you,
1: um, Michael. As you know, I was reviewing you. You had a paper published recently. I uh, I was reading it because I always no, I didn't read the whole thing, but I read parts of it. But I found it very interesting. If you're interested in business. Uh, this would be uh, some research you might you might find interesting, but but again, what's the name of the art journal and journal article title?
0: Sure, uh, the the title of a paper. Uh, it was accepted. It hasn't been through the publishing process yet. It's still in press, uh, but it's called Agreeableness and Its Consequences: Meta-Analytic Review of the Quantitative Evidence.
1: Okay, and what's the name of the journal?
0: It's Personality and Social Psych a review
1: which is a top top journal that has yes very That's high a, impact factor it's
0: the premier journal in personality and social psychology um, publishing theory papers and uh, meta analyses primarily
1: uh, i'm going to delve into those some of those things that most people won't know about <clears throat> like meta-analysis what that means mm-hmm. etc but i want to back up for a minute mm-hmm. Because agreeableness is one of the five traits of personality, I believe. Is that correct?
0: It is. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe we ought to just take a brief step back further and just talk about what is personality to kind of... Yeah, that'd be great. and have a foundation. So when we're talking about personality, uh, we're talking about individual differences in the way people think, feel, behave, and are motivated uh, in different situations and across time. Now, people are very different and do different things at different times, so we have to come up with a way to like research personality. So the trait has been uh, the most predominant uh, mode of doing this research. So personality traits refer to relatively stable patterns of that thinking, feeling, behaving, and being motivated Um, when you come into contact with general classes of stimuli across time and situations. So there's a bit of a descriptive part and an explanatory part of personality. The descriptive part is kind of a probabilistic description of how people act in public. You know, it's like we're observers from the outside looking in. Um, It's been described by some as people's reputation, their character. What do they do? How do they tend to act? Are they kind? Are they rude? Are they extroverted? Are they quiet? So that's kind of the descriptive part. The explanatory part refers to well, it's kind of shorthand really we don't really know what's going on in the brain we're we're studying that but it's the underlying psychological processes that are responsible for generating that thinking feeling and behaving associated with that trait so uh, causal mechanisms and processes underlying the psychological functioning in the brain finally from an applied perspective we can think about personality as a characteristic of uh, human capital resources that can be leveraged for business advantage and so that is kind of my orientation to looking at personality. I'm interested in how personality traits are associated with variables um, broadly defined as success at work.
1: Very interesting. So would you mind, before we get into agreeable, agreeableness, tell us what what are the traits of personality?
0: That's And that is uh, a, good, a good segue. So one of the Grand challenges of personality science is the development of a comprehensive and parsimonious taxonomy of human personality traits. Taxonomies are important because they give researchers a shared language for describing entities under study. Uh, They allow us to measure and predict variables and act as a basis for our theory building. So work on a taxonomy of personality traits, it progressed and fits and starts over the mid 20th century, but in the late 80s and early 90s, a general consensus began emerging across researchers uh, about a big five trait taxonomy. Sometimes it's called the five factor model, but the big five taxonomy posits that individual differences in personality traits can be reasonably well described and captured across five big dimensions. Uh, the first is emotional stability or it's converse neuroticism the next is extroversion Uh, the third would be conscientiousness fourth openness or openness to experience and then the fifth is agreeableness Uh, this taxonomy has been really really powerful Uh, the subsequent research shows that these traits emerge across the sexes races ages inventories languages cultures uh, indicative of the robustness and generalizability of the Big Five trait taxonomy, so this Big Five taxonomy is arguably the most important contribution of personality psychology to the wider behavioral sciences. And um, after its kind of consensual adoption, research began to explode.
1: Well, you know, you you mentioned that taxonomies can be helpful for. Researchers, but I would argue they're also helpful for managers and leaders. For sure, you know, uh, in anything. I mean, I you know my uh, area of research is more supply chain management. But I know, for example, when you listen to managers talk about certain kinds of costs or certain kinds of forecasts or forecast errors, et cetera, et cetera, if if they understand the taxonomies. It's very easy for them to communicate Mm -hmm. and then to figure out what the root cause of the problem is or where the opportunity is, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost like if you don't have the taxonomy, you really can't communicate very accurately.
0: Yeah, you need to name a thing. I mean, if you go back to the very first or second chapter of the Hebrew Bible, what was the first task of Adam was to name all the animals. And then given a name, that's what they were called, then you could make sense of them. You could communicate about them. It's the same thing we're still doing today in science. So one of the primary functions is description. What What is the thing? And once we know what it is, we can have an agreement about it. And then we can talk, discuss, predict, try to control, et cetera.
1: What's really neat about the research on personality as you say it's it's relatively recent that there's you know they verified that these are the five uh characteristics of uh or traits of personality but the other interesting thing is that you can measure them Their your measurement of those personality traits are reliable in the sense that you can measure them at different times with different cultures, um, et cetera, et cetera, and you get similar results.
0: Yes, it is. uh, That's what makes it fantastic. Of course, it's not going to be perfect. Um, You've got self ratings, which is predominantly, actually, it's exclusively what I reviewed in this paper, but you can also assess personality from the lens of the other person, the other ratings. And there's a reasonable amount of convergence between what you say about your personality and what your friend says or your coworker says or your boss says. Now they are gonna have some unique perspectives on you and your personality that you don't have. Um, For instance, you might think you're a lot more agreeable or um, extroverted than others might think. They might think you're a bit of a jerk. Um, So there may be some uh, lack of consensus there. But uh, in general though, when people are trying to give honest responses, There's a decent amount of convergence. So it's very interesting.
1: It really is. You know, you you mentioned uh, extroversion and introversion. I've known people, leaders, that other people think, oh, so-and-so is an extrovert. But they just don't know the person very well. Because Mm -hmm. when they're in a leadership spotlight, yeah, they seem like an extrovert. But if you get to know them, you know, (laughs) no. They've trained themselves to do certain things.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, a lot of times when people go through the big five, for some reason, that one trait uh, that you called emotional stability, which I like that term for it, Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times I hear people say the opposite of that, neuroticism. So They'll be saying, you know, uh, extroversion, uh, agreeableness, neuroticism. (laughs) It seems Mm -hmm. odd to pick that end of the scale
0: exactly <laughs> yeah you, you want to kind of use the the bright side of the poles um <laughs> versus the opposite now neuroticism or emotional stability it's important as an important function it's primarily as threat um, awareness um, so it's about being vigilant i mean whether you're talking about living on the plains of africa or today i mean there are certain threats that we encounter and we need to be aware and that's predominantly what the negative emotion system is for, is to trigger threat awareness and you need to adapt or be aware of it. And you know, this is getting a bit far afield, but it converges, there is study, there's research uh, pretty substantive on animal personality. And the big five personality traits can generally be observed in animals with the exception of conscientiousness. Um, Primates are the only ones that there's evidence of conscientiousness. And, and the reason is conscientiousness has to do with working towards non immediate goals. Um, and a lot of animals, you know, they don't use tools. Some of them do, but like they're not building things like human beings are. And they're not working towards abstract goals. But that's beyond my area of expertise. I usually try to focus on people um, and in work settings. But it's fun to, to kind of see some of that other research too. Um, see what's going on in other fields of psychology.
1: Well, I'm glad we're talking about personality before we get into agreeableness, since agreeableness is a part of it. And I'd like to talk just briefly, since you're an expert, um, about uh, conscientiousness.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
1: You know, there was a colleague I've worked with um, who I think would score high on conscientiousness. And I noticed that when he's faced with decisions that affect other people in a substantial way, it's hard for him to sleep at night. Uh, you know, for example, maybe a performance review. Uh, you know, if if you're really high in conscientiousness, it can cause problems for you. You know, it can make it hard to sleep sometimes.
0: Yeah, I've... Um... I've done research in conscientiousness i'll talk about my my dissertation itself because that's kind of where all this came from in 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 but a moment but i did have a paper uh very similar to this agreeableness paper reviewing everything we know um about conscientiousness it's it's entitled uh, a century of research on conscientiousness at work and it's was published in the proceedings of the national academy of sciences and um some great figures it's pretty short I think folks might be interested in that. I mean, the supplement's really, really long if you really want to get in the weeds, but it provides some nice little details or themes about conscientiousness. Um, and uh, I could see how, you know, you, you do care about order and predictability uh, and those, those matter. I would, it sounds to me though, also like your friend uh, or colleague, maybe also higher on agreeableness too. You can be higher on both of these traits because you yes, wants to absolutely. Or, and do the right thing, but also cares about other people. Um, sometimes if someone were too high in conscient- or high in conscientiousness, but low on agreeableness, they might be more focused on the orders, uh, the goals uh, without a concern and, and the systems without a concern for the people that are impacted by them.
1: So now let's shift gears to agreeableness. What is agreeableness?
0: So it's difficult to talk about personality traits or these big five constructs because they're big. They're big in terms of abstractness, um, conceptually they're kind of a bit murky. So we have indicators or facets of them. So I guess the way I'd be describing agreeableness is it's a broad construct which generally concerns motivation to maintain positive relationships with others and to work well with others. So it includes um, important characteristics such as altruism, uh, sympathy, empathy, cooperativeness, honesty, and um, modesty. So, I think you know that that's good to know those you know descriptors, but it's probably best to have like a prototype. So the prototypical agreeable person would be someone who's sympathetic and considerate of feelings um, and perspectives. They're, they They tell the truth, they're supportive of others. And because of all these things, they arouse liking in other people. Agreeable people just are likable. Um, uh, people like agreeable people in general. Uh, by comparison, the prototypical disagreeable person is critical, skeptical, hostile, condescending, or and even manipulative of others. So those are your two contrasts.
1: So uh, you were talking earlier about, you know, describing a trait versus uh, looking at its causal effects and so forth. What is your research here uh, focused on?
0: That's a great question. Uh, so I'm interested in how people uh, self report their personality. And then what types of work relevant and life relevant criteria these self report ratings predict. I primarily do my research at a meta analytic level, so I, I do meta analyzes and we can talk about what a meta analysis is too. I think that would be helpful. Um, And then I'm doing second order reviews. So that is, I'm reviewing meta-analyses. So when the meta-analytic literature gets so big, you need to do a review of those. And that's what this agreeableness paper was in addition. And it's a subset, actually, it's a piece of my dissertation. A dissertation, I look at all the big five traits, and um, my work the past few years has been publishing single papers on a single trait. So I got a paper on extroversion in the Journal of Applied Psychology, one conscientiousness previously discussed and currently this third one uh, is on agreeableness.
1: You know, I, of course, didn't know what a meta-analytic study was until I was in my PhD program a long time Mm -hmm. ago, back in the dark ages. Uh, I don't (laughs) think there were as many meta-analyses back then. It was kind of a new thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And to think of a second-order meta-analysis, meta-analysis of meta-analyses, to be honest, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know that existed until I read through your paper. It shows you how far behind I am.
0: Well, in, in, I guess in, de, in your defense, it's only been relatively recently, less than the past 10 years, that second-order meta-analytic methods have been proposed and used in the behavioral sciences. And frankly, they haven't got a lot of traction yet because there's not a lot... Um, not a lot of use for them yet. There's not that many literatures that can be second-order meta-analyzed. So, but I'll, I'll describe what meta-analysis is real briefly. Um, this arguably one of the most uh, significant methodological statistical advances of the late 20th century. Um, meta-analysis is a statistical technique for integrating quantitative research findings across studies. So it allows us to synthesize a vast literature of sometimes contradictory findings. Let's say you've got two variables. Let's say you're looking at agreeableness and job performance. You know, in some uh, studies there may be a positive relationship, others a negative relationship, others a zero or nil type of relationship. But what you want to know is what's the true relationship between these two variables. So what meta-analysis can allow you to do is you can combine those studies, you can weight them by sample size. Um, Larger sample studies are more reliable. And you can come up with a precise point estimate of the relationship between two variables, as well as true ver- uh, variability uh, around estimates of that study. So uh, for instance, agreeableness has a stronger relationship with performance in certain occupations than others. This is another paper that we published earlier in this year. Agreeableness is best in healthcare. That's where one of its strongest relationships was. Which makes sense because agreeableness is a trait about helping people and healthcare is it involves that um, skill set? A portrait predictor, for instance, in uh, management and sales, um, which is a little bit more individual focused and generating goals and productivity, which is not necessarily the bag, so to speak, of agreeableness.
1: I want to really nail this down a little bit further. Sure. Um, in 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 research, for those of you that aren't researchers, if you study the relationship between two variables uh using a statistical method many times you will come up if you are like for example if you're looking at the effect of a on b you come up with a parameter you estimate a statistical parameter so you collect data you estimate this parameter the parameter may be positive it may be negative Um, that's one thing and it may be statistically significant and it might not be statistically significant um, but you can have a study done, one study, and it can estimate it to be positive and statistically significant. But there's something called false positives and false negatives, and because of that, you a, a certain one study uh, may suggest a positive relationship, but if you looked at hundreds of studies. Mm -hmm. that false positive can shake out, and you realize that, no, it's a negative relationship. And so meta-analyses help get over that problem to some degree, don't they?
0: Absolutely. Uh, They can account for chance, the vagaries of chance, and sampling error, which is what you're talking about, and it statistically removes it. Uh, And advanced methods can also correct for other sources of error, including imprecise measurement or measurement error, um, as well as range restriction. You can uh, you might have a restricted population and you want to generalize to uh, a truer or a broader population, and you can make corrections for that as well. And then finally, we talked about second order methods um, that you can accumulate meta-analyses that are independent of one another. That's important uh, important assumption in meta-analyses. These point estimates need to be independent of one another.
1: So back to the example I just gave, you could have one study looking at the relationship between a and B, they estimate a parameter. and you have another study that, Estimates that same thing, maybe right. a bigger sample size, maybe a different age range. Mm-hmm. And then you have another study that does it, and then another study. So the first order meta analysis is combining all of those, correct?
0: So that's correct. And let's say then that someone was doing all those same things, but let's say they're doing it in Europe or Africa and with a different set of, you know, different population because. Those studies are all independent. Let's say they're published in different journals. You could combine those um, two meta-analyses together, and then you would have a cross-cultural, you know, second-order meta-analysis. Wouldn't have to be cross-cultural, but that's kind of the general gist of it. They're independent of one another, and as a result, you can combine them because they're unique pieces of information.
1: So second-order meta-analyses, where you're combining a bunch of meta-analyses, they do they is it true that they tend to be more accurate?
0: I'd say yes. You're you're coming up with better point estimates, and you're accounting for yet another level of sampling error. And we call it second-order sampling error. And that would be the the you know if you got to think about uh, you've got this broad universe of studies, and you're like sampling you know you take a handful of them, all right, and then you meta-analyze those. Uh, it's better than just one you know the picking one study to come up with the estimate so you got a handful but there's still uh, you might not have captured the full population of that universe so the second order meta-analysis will allow you to come up with more pre- excuse me more precise uh, parameter estimates by accounting for some of that leftover sampling error second order sampling error
1: so your dissertation did second order meta-analyses on all of the big five
0: yeah So here's a little bit of the context, and I think it'll be helpful. So with the development of the big five trait taxonomy, researchers across the behavioral sciences um, were able to include measures of personality in their studies. But the study that really galvanized applied personality research was a meta-analysis of the big five personality traits and job performance. See, previously, because of the inconsistent relations of personality because there was no meta analysis, there was people were down, uh, the literature was down on personality as a useful tool for prediction, um, selection, et cetera, at work. So in 1991, Barrick and Mount published um, a highly acclaimed meta analysis of the Big Five in job performance and showed that yes, personality, when it's organized according to this Big Five trait taxonomy, has predictive validity uh, for work relevant variables, in particular conscientiousness showed um, a substantive effect size of 0.20. It may sound small, but it's pretty darn good for the behavioral sciences. And this study was like the study that launched a thousand studies. I I just looked at the citation count this morning and it's approaching 14,000 citations. So it it ranks number one or two, depending uh, the most highly cited uh, publications in applied psychology. So the success, uh, the success of research explosion of a result of this study, you know, prompted further big five meta-analyses and so many that uh, more than 300 of these big five meta-analyses have been published across the behavioral sciences. Just looked yesterday. Uh, the topics uh, obviously are range widely, um, health, well-being, marital satisfaction, leadership, academic performance, job attitudes, career success. Um, and so yes, there's like 300 or more studies, but a lot of these studies include multiple variables. So the cumulative body of evidence pro- is probably approaching a thousand uh, different variables of study. So on one hand, I mean this is this evidence, this is testimony to the scientific importance and the utility of the Big Five model. But on the other hand, again the number and diversity of studies calls out for further quantitative review, um, and that review should. In my opinion accomplish two goals one is a comprehensive summary of what we know about personality and its impacts and the second is an integration and a synthesis of those results to open up new research and theory building so that was the subject of my dissertation it's personality and its impacts across the behavioral sciences but it's too big to publish in one scholarly article so i've kind of broken it down into publishing papers based on um, individual traits yes there's big five traits but you can get into lower order traits too uh, more specific facets, and you can go down further. Um, and so, we think about personality as this big pyramid. Uh, um, it's a hierarchically oriented taxonomy. Um, but some of these relationships are complex. They, um, they're. It's just not a, a simple, they're not all these big five traits, they're not uncorrelated. They're correlated with one another. And so, there's a complex structure involved, So, which it's it's makes it challenging and interesting. Sometimes it hasn't gotten uh, as much focus as others. So I, I thought that um, the reader's uh, personality and social psychology review would be particularly interested in um, this study. So that's why I targeted that journal.
1: So you're saying that these big five traits are correlated with one another?
0: Yes, it, they have small to moderate correlations. Um, so you can actually look at a higher order structure of two traits above the big five. that my research. Um, it, it, involves that as well, and then you can look at traits below. So personality, so I talked about earlier these big five traits or the it's sometimes referred to as the five factor model. So a factor analysis, you know, pulls out the variance that is shared across the number of items. So it's like the overlap. So there's there's stuff below, so to speak, and there's a little bit above as well, and some relationships in between. I'll give you a practical example. Extraversion and agreeableness. um, have a a facet that they share that is approximately 50% associated with extroversion and 50% associated with agreeableness. And it's a characteristic called warmth. Warmth, it's a person who's usually outgoing and kind and compassionate. So this characteristic, it it comes across as charisma. People like people who are sociable and warm and kind and uh, are willing to go out and meet people. Uh, other traits are correlated as well, but that, that's one that's applicable to uh, to agreeableness.
1: You found eight general themes that sure. describe agreeableness characteristic functioning. What is characteristic functioning?
0: In this paper, we summarize results from 142 meta-analyses uh, and with relation to 275 variables. Um, it's approximately 1.9 million participants, close to 4,000. Studies, So there's a lot of variables, right? So we, we wanted to come up with an organizational framework that made sense. So we had this organizational framework of 16 conceptual categories um, that would provide, you know, like a drawer, so to speak, with like which places agreeableness shows the strongest relationship. So we had some um, having to do with attitudes, maybe attitudes at work or attitudes with relationship with other people, um, performance, leadership, etc. cetera. Um, so we organized them in these attitudes, or excuse me, in these drawers, these conceptual categories. and um, but at the same time, we've noticed that there were themes of of relationships that span these categories, too. So we had a rational scheme up front, uh, and then we did kind of an inductive empirical dive into these two hundred and seventy five variables. So what we did was we tried to find variables with uh, an effect size greater than point uh point two. And then um, those those represented the about the top third of the distribution. And said, okay, what are the, the strengths? You know, like a strength finder, so to speak, of agreeableness. And that's what we mean by the characteristic functioning. It's it's really its themes. What themes characterize the functioning of agreeableness across all these different variables? And uh, we came up with a pretty uh, parsimonious subset of eight.
1: Would you mind talking a little bit about
0: those sure. eight? Me too. So the first theme, I think that it's probably the most outstanding, too, that comes across from agreeableness is self-transcendence. So people high in agreeableness uh, have aspirations for self-directed growth as a person. Uh, they kind of want to grow up, but also out. There's a motivation to show care and concern for other people, um, but as well as engaging in self-transcending practices. Uh, practically speaking, agreeableness is the trait that's the most highly uh, correlated with religiousness and spirituality.
1: So one quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said that uh, the first theme is that, and probably the most outstanding um, is that agreeableness, self related to self-transcendence. And yes. I took from what you said that self-transcendence means the person aspires to grow. So they might they might maybe exercise a lot or read and study right yes and yeah. or even as you said have uh spirituality religiousness.
0: Uh, yeah i would say it's more along those lines it doesn't have super strong relationships with uh, physical health variables definitely has some with um, mental or psychological functioning well i'll talk about that in the next theme but yeah this is mostly just a desire to be a better person i want to be a better person i want to grow i want to develop and i want to learn um, but I also want to transcend myself. I want to help others. Um, willingness to forgive falls into this self-transcendence category.
1: Le- leaders have different kinds of capabilities. One of them that comes to, to my mind is um, how strategic they are, right? Mm-hmm. Some leaders are stronger in strategic direction. Some are stronger in influence. Some are stronger in relational building, some are stronger in execution, et cetera, et cetera. But that strategic one, I, I, I've not studied this, but I would, just based on what you said, I would have a hunch that agreeableness agreeableness might actually help the strategic portion
0: a little bit. I don't know, uh, at least from the empirical data, uh, it is important for leaders to be at least somewhat agreeable. If you're If you're too agreeable, you're a pushover, right? Right. But if you're disagreeable, um, people might resent you or don't want to follow you. People kind of want to, leaders like are an archetype, right? You really, people want to follow the, the person they aspire to be a lot of the times and someone who's kind and respectful, but also can make the hard choices, but does take into account other people um, that that's going to be who they're more likely to follow. You can boil a lot of leadership behavior research down into two general dimensions two two factors, so to speak. And the one has to do with pursuing the goals you know, of the, of the team. We've got to pursue our objectives. Um, so this would be like your task orientation. But the other part is the agreeableness part. It's, it's relational orientation. You've got to lead a team. You've got to keep them working together. You've got to help them out, consider them, support them individually. Um, and so there's often a dynamic tension between the two because sometimes, you gotta get stuff done, but people need help, or sometimes people need to buck up and get stuff done too. So it's a complicated job. Um, so agreeableness is an important part of leadership. Strategically, um, I, I don't know, but I would say cognitive ability is gonna be a lot more important there, um, which is has small relationships, but is generally unique and independent and has its own research area um, re- regard to person- with regard to personality. Okay. Second theme would be contentment. This is having to do with your attitudes. People who are agreeable tend, tend to be more likely to accept life as it is. Um, their ability to successfully adjust to new uh, contexts and institutions too. Uh, they, they report experiences of satisfaction across different life domains. So whether it's work or home, they tend to be more satisfied, mentally um, healthy and happy. Um, and again, just willing to accept life as it is, this contentedness, could be adaptive, as you could say, and maybe maybe it are, could also be a bit unadaptive at times. You might rationalize something that's um, hard or difficult, um, but in general, it's this, this theme of contentment. Another one would be relational investment. This is, I mean, it's pretty simple, but people who are agreeable are more motivated to cultivate and maintain positive relationships with others at work, at home, with supervisors, with peers, with followers. With clients, um, and as a result, they experience the mutual support and satisfaction of those positive relationships. So, people who are agreeable invest in relationships, and they care about those uh, those personal interactions. Uh, but the the next one is related. It's team working. Agreeable folks work well on teams. Uh, so individuals who are higher in agreeableness have higher empathy abilities. So you have the capacity to kind of understand what's going on in somebody else's mind. The theory of mind is what they call it in the psychological research. So you have this empathic capacity to coordinate goals with others and ability as well as willingness to cooperate effectively. So regardless of the roles, again, it can be leaders, followers, supervisors, um, to, to accomplish these collective objectives. Folks who are agreeable like to work with other people, especially if they are agreeable too. And teams that are more agreeable as a whole t- tend to function better. Teams that are comprised of like some agreeable and some disagreeable people, that heterogeneity um, can be disadvantageous for team performance. That's so, really
1: interesting.
0: A um, Couple others, work investment. So people, it's, it's interesting folks who are agreeable they are willing to expend effort at work and do quality work and show responsiveness to the work environment. And you know, they want to adapt and grow in their careers. Um, the other thing that's interesting, though, kind of a counterbalance, is this: is this um, sixth theme? They they tend to be have a lower results emphasis. So people who are more agreeable, they tend they tend to be less likely to set goals and produce individual results and output. Uh, they're also more likely to rate others' performance with greater leniency. Again, it's uh, it's not so much that these people don't want to work hard. We've already established that they do. They just prefer to do it in teams or in the right situation or occupation like healthcare um, or uh, clerical and customer service roles are also uh, conducive to individuals who are more agreeable. And then the final two have to do with how people who are into, uh, agreeable Behave in institutions. Um, so the, the seventh theme is social norm orientation, we're calling it. So what we mean by that is they have the greater individuals who are higher in agreeableness, have a greater sensitivity to and respect for and willingness to behaviorally comply with social roles and norms. And they also importantly, avoid rule breaking and wrongdoing and counterproductive behavior. And uh, as a result, they they, they fit well in institutions and organizations. And that, that brings us to the last theme, is the social integration. Because these people work well, they're content, they, they help other people, um, they're team working, they're, they're more likely to be successfully integrated into social roles and in institutions. And they're, more, they're less likely to engage in delinquent behavior, antisocial behavior, and they're less likely to leave. They're more likely to stay um, because they receive some of the benefits of becoming a part of that institution. You know, they have a role, they have support, uh, both socially and uh, in terms of resources. So those, those are the big eight themes that are associated with agreeableness, um, or what we're calling its characteristic functioning. And uh, we hope that these can be explored and studied and kind of can uh, represent a research agenda. Um, you know, what are, what are the boundary conditions or limitations or where can these themes be of benefit? where might be uh, an opportunity or a situation where the, the the advantage may become a disadvantage.
1: So first of all, I'll ask you two brief questions to, to conclude our discussion. And um, one is where are you wanting to go with your research on agreeableness in the future?
0: Well, I, um, if, if, if actually I, I, I wanna continue it looking at the lower order trait levels. Um, we didn't talk about it so much on this podcast for for time constraints, but I also looked at uh, several lower order traits associated with agreeableness and they have different relationships, but they have not explored a lot of the empirical relations to to the variables that comprise these themes. So there's a whole, there's a whole like. Several pockets of research that are just that need to be examined. So these themes explored at the level of agreeableness's uh, facet or constituent level traits is one. Um, But before that, my my next project relatedly is doing the same thing, but with emotional stability. So that's what I'm working on this this semester and um, as well as we're also looking at different profiles across these big five traits, and uh, that's another project I'd be happy to talk about later as um, it nears its completion. So that's kind of what I'm working on next. Lower order traits, the trait of emotional stability, and thinking about these personality traits, the big five all together. Not just looking at them individually, but as a as a collective.
1: Interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. So finally, what, based on your research on this and what you know about it, what advice do you have for managers and leaders?
0: There's a lot of advantages associated with agreeableness. Um, but it's an unsung trait. Often, um, agreeableness, People take advantage of people who tend to be nice and kind because they can Um, and as a manager, it's going to be important that you look out for and support these individuals who tend to be more agreeable. They might not be as likely to stand up for themselves. That's kind of the the weakness associated with self-transcendence. You can be so other oriented that you might not advocate for yourself. So would be to help them um, and to be an advocate for them. Relatedly, So there's a lot of advantages associated with agreeableness. The main disadvantage, though, is it tends to be have weaker relationships or negative relationships with career success variables, promotions um, and salary. And again, this may be the uh, this may be a lack of of willingness uh, to broach some of those difficult conversations and negotiate with managers. So I would encourage you to look after your more agreeable employees and um, help them. They're not going to be likely to promote themselves. So promote them on their behalf. Uh, that would go a long ways to um, making them feel good and uh, also to helping their careers.
1: That's great advice, uh, Michael. Well, um, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Be Epic podcast and uh, really uh, find your research interesting.
0: Thank you very much. I'm just happy to be here and uh, hope that it can be of use to the podcast listeners.
1: On behalf of the Sam and Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching BEPIC. Be B E E P I C.